ATV Talk, the podcast presents Inspired. Sit down with your host, Leonard Duncan, as he interviews men and women whose stories are so inspirational that they need to be shared. Hopefully, their stories may inspire you and create a change. Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Curtis Howard, how are you, bud? Doing fantastic. How about you? I'm doing great. Hey, welcome to ATV Talk. Uh, I wanted to thank you for spending some time with us. This is our inspired episode. And what that is, is we have people in our lives that always raise the bar for us. That means somewhere in their life, they've done something that I think that is special in my life. And I want to bring that to the people that listen to ATV talk. And it's whether you're a racer or whether you're uh, just an individual that's done something above and beyond. And in my belief, you fit that bill because um, your service to the country, uh, you maybe you're not as involved in ATVs other than when you go hunting, but this is where I'd like to know what it was like for you and why you chose to go into the military. Absolutely. Love to share my story from start to finish. When I was a young little lad joining the Marine Corps, <laughs> I was, uh, see, I was 19 years old. I did, I did a year of college and I had about, it was $3,000 student loan debt. And I was sitting at my girlfriend's house and I'm eating a can of spinach and I knew that I didn't want to be broke. And I, I watched my dad work hard his whole life. He worked as a steel mill worker. My mom never worked. And uh, I didn't want to keep on taking money from his retirement because he wrote a check for you know 7000 for me to go to college. And I kind of pissed that away. And I, I took out my first student loan debt for $3,000. As I'm sitting there at my girlfriend's house on the floor, not a bed, eating a can of spinach, a Marine Corps commercial came on. And that's when, that's when it clicked that, okay, now that's what I'm going to join. I want to join the Marine Corps. A little sidebar note of that is about a year before that, a real good friend of mine named Jay Dorico and Jared Dorico, his dad passed away. Well, they asked me to be a pallbearer when his dad when his dad passed away, and his bro- my older brother named Joe Rico just got out of the ring or was in the Marine Corps, just got out of boot camp, and he was there with his dress blues carrying the casket of my real good friend Jared and Jaden dad down the down the aisle, and he looked really sharp and representative. So put two and two together, I saw Joe Rico, and I put myself there, and I'm, I have no money. I said, well, those guys look good, they're sharp, and they fly around the world. Hence why that day when I had a can of spinach, because that's all I could afford. It was like 30 cents a can. I went down to the recruiter's office that day to join the Marine Corps. I think that was on May 10th, uh, 1997. And where were you in the country at that time? I was in Granite City, Illinois. So I was uh, born and raised in Illinois. Really? Yep. Born and raised. So you liked the snow and the cold weather and things like that? Uh, it doesn't... I mean, yeah. I didn't mind it. And I'm, I enjoy the changes now. Obviously, being in San Diego for 20 plus years, I miss that. I miss the cold and the snow. You just miss it. You grow out of it. But growing up as a kid, sometimes you get freezing temperatures. You say you hate it, but I, I miss it now later in life. So uh, going back to that May, I went to the recruiter's office and perfect candidate. I was always fit. Uh, you know, captain of the track team, star athlete, one of those, you know, good kids, quote unquote, fit the criteria. And uh, I took the ASVAB that day not knowing that I didn't want to sign up and join the Marine Corps. So I took the ASVAB, scored pretty decent on it. I could have picked a few different jobs I wanted, but I told the recruiter, no, I want to hike mountains and I want to travel around the world. So hence infantry. 
<laughs> I didn't know what infantry was. I just knew what I wanted to do because I was, you know, an athlete. <coughs> Excuse me. And then, uh, so after I took the ASVAB, I uh, did really well on it. Then we started the whole process of joining the Marine Corps. I remember going home and telling my mom and dad, of course, my mom, typical mom, didn't want her son joining the Marine Corps. But my dad was, you know, just always working. He's like, okay, you know, try to talk me out of it, stay in school. But that's what I wanted to do. And then uh, I think it was two weeks later, right after that, I was on an airplane on the Yellow Footprints at MCRD, which is nice. ironic. Which I'm there right now as an engineer project manager at the same yellow footprints. Fast forward twenty plus years in the forward, but uh, so that's that's how I joined the Marine Corps. Just uh, went in a prayer and said, "That's what I'm going to go do." Nice. Mm -hmm. So, did you have any expectations going in the Marine Corps um, of what you were getting into? No, I just knew they were uh, the tough ones. You know, physically fit, tough guys, and I never knew what special forces was a little bit here on TV, but I just, I know that I wanted to join the Marine Corps after seeing uh, Joey walk down the aisle in his dress blues and then having that commercial come on while I'm dead broke and no direction in life. I said, okay, well, this might be something good for me. And it gets me out of Illinois. Was, uh, was the direction of the military something you needed in your life to focus and, and, and gain perspective on what you needed to do to have a more successful life? 100%. I would recommend it to everybody. Uh, it's good, bad, or indifferent. I think it, it it takes a maturity level to leave the nest. You don't know that till you till you do it or you you, you try it in life. But I 100% agree that it gave me a lot of direction and a very fundamental work ethic with what I carry on to today. Nice. So, what year was that again? That was in 1997, right around May timeframe, uh, early June. No wars going on at that no time. No wars. No, this is all pre. I mean, it was very simple, easy, fun. Uh, you train, train, train. It was kind of that, like the training we were doing was more packing, hiking around the hills with our packs on and doing more uh, like jungle training, like the Vietnam era. Nothing, nothing urban warfare, which came to with what we are doing now and most military guys. So um, where did you spend most of your time? I was in Camp Pendleton. Uh, so my first four years, I was at uh, Camp Pendleton up in, in San Diego, California, actually up in Oceanside area. And we were in a, it's called Camp Horno. I think it was a 53 area on Camp Pendleton. And that's where all the infantry guys go train and do everything where, where all our training base was. And then uh, I'm, gonna, I'm skipping ahead, but then I re-enlisted and that was at 21 area, Del Mar. That's over where we do all the amphibious rating, all the fun stuff where we'll get into a little bit later. We'll start from the ground and working our way up when I was a young Marine. So what was boot camp like for you? Uh, I don't go back to it. I mean, I, I know I didn't like it because it was, you know, you're a young kid. No one really enjoys it. But I, I remember I met a guy from Oklahoma and his name was Tom Johnson. No, no, no. What was his name? Not the Tom Johnson. Not the, that Tom Johnson I know. Not the same guy. His name was Tim Johnston. Johnston. Tim Johnston. Like, like PJ Johnston. Okay. And uh, I remember standing there. We're, we're standing at, you know, attention. I don't know this guy's big, tall. And just out of nowhere, he looks over at me. And uh, am I allowed to air bad words on here or say, oh, okay. Within reason. Within reason. It's, this is what he looked at me. He goes, he goes, hey, do you know how big a bull's hoo-ha is? And I remember <laughs> looking at him like, no. And he just raised his hands this big and we just start laughing. And I've never met the guy before. And I just, that's one of those stories I remember vividly remember. 
And uh, so him and I became pretty good friends uh, through the Marine Corps. He was a like six foot four guy from Oklahoma, and I was a five foot seven guy from Illinois. So we just hit off really well there. Uh, years go on, and we always lost contact. I mean, you have acquaintances. I'm sure I could call him now. He would respond back just out of nowhere. But that's that camaraderie you build in the military. It's, unless you do it, you can't explain it. That camaraderie is huge. Because everything you guys do is based on teamwork, right? Everything. Yeah. Everything you do is based on teamwork. And most individuals that have that eye in, you know, they just eye, 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 they, they break that out of you at boot camp. At least that, that's their attempt to. Uh, are there guys that don't, that they can't break? Uh, I, I'm sure there is, but most of them go with the flow and it's kind of, it's kind of directed in one direction. You're not going to, if you choose to fail, you're going to fail, but if you're going to succeed, they're going to direct you to, to succeed. Nice. And that was, what are some of the, if, 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 if you could think back, what are some of the key instructional goals that you learned from bootcamp? Uh, there's, there's an acronym called JJ did tie buckle, uh, judgment, justice, integrity, tact, uh, bearing unselfishness. I mean, I could, the whole acronym goes on, but a lot of those core principles, uh, leadership is a huge one and direction and a strong work ethic. I mean, that's something they teach in not just Marine Corps, but every military. And they give you a, uh, more of appreciation for direction. When you were talking about uh, the other military services, you know, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, why do they say the Marines are the hardest and the toughest? Uh, that is a great question. Uh, to be uh, to answer that, I just know it's maybe we get more of the athletes in there, more physically demanding people. We like to fight. We like to rough things up. I, I don't know. I just... I know we walk around with a more of a chip on our shoulder than most people. Not to, not to say that's right, but it, it's, I guess you're the proud of being a Marine. They say once a Marine, always a Marine. And it's just, it's, it's a pride factor. I mean, it's something you say, okay, I was a Marine. I'm proud. I'm proud to serve my country as a Marine. I think maybe that's going back a couple hundred years ago. That's the only thing I can pinpoint it on. Did you have much interaction with, 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 uh, Army or, or Navy or anything. I know that there's a lot of naval uh, influence here in San Diego yeah. as well as the Marines. So uh, I was just wondering how much interaction you had. We had a lot with the Navy uh, going on the deployments because we're we're basically uh, the navies would they would be on their vessels. So they they catered us basically. We were we were on their cruisers. They were on their ships, and we worked in conjunction with the Navy on the on the vessels. How did that go? Did you guys get along pretty well or was there, was there much conflict? I know, I know from other people I know, there was always a little bit of a rift between the different branches. Uh, and there still is. I mean, to this day, <laughs> I got gentlemen that we, they did 30 years in the military and I'm sitting in an office next to him and just always a little riff and rap. One of a guy told me one of my favorite jokes. He says, what is the best Marine? And I said, I don't know what he goes, a submarine. I thought it was hilarious, right? It's just a submarine, but there's always that riffraff. Uh, but on, on deployment, this was all pre-war. Yeah, you 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 get in fights, you get in tusks, you get in the okay. I'm in the Navy, I'm in the Marine Corps. It's like I'm a Charger fan, I'm a Raider fan. It's that that whole nostalgia of it putting together. But at the end of the day, you you're, you're a Charger fan. You're I'm not, not a Charger of, fan. No. Okay, I was just no. gonna have to throw you out. I was just using them because most people, <laughs> you know, here in San Diego. But uh, but now that's where. It's, it's, 
you're proud of being who you are. Right. And then you take that. Okay. Oh, you're in the Navy. I'm in the Marine Corps. Then, you know, a little, little animosity, but most of the time, no, because you're on there to work together. After you got out of boot camp, what was your main job? I was an 0311 infantry. And I was a, uh, we were first battalion, first Marines, first platoon, first squad. So we were first, first of the first. Many, this was going back years ago, but I was an infantry, uh, 0311 infantry Marine. So what did you, what did you do? Uh, we did a lot of hiking around. We'd be the first one. I mean, we trained for being like the first ones in combat and just, just, uh, basically it said tip of the spear. And then I was on the amphibious Raiders group. So we were the Raiders. So we'd be the, uh, guys that take the Zodiac boats in and jump out and, uh, basically assault the beach to set up a perimeter to let, uh, LCACs or other, you know, other troops come in to secure the base and offload, you know, offload materials, offload troops, and basically ambush if there was any predators. That's what we trained for over and over and over again. When you say train, every day you guys had some form of training that you did? Pretty much every day. So every once in a while, we call it garrison. That's back at, you know, back at base or everything. You're still trained on stuff. You're practicing, studying knowledge. You're just, you're you're training, you're working. They teach you how to navigate um, and things like that? Yeah, there's a... Select group of people will go to navigation school. Select group of people will go be coxswains. That means driving the boats. Uh, select people will be scout swimmers. They're the ones that jump off the boats and swim in first to secure the perimeter. There's a there's just groups of people that they itemize out and filter down. What were you? I was a coxswain, so I drove the boats. <laughs> Back to my when I was a young kid, I always loved fishing and hunting, and so I was a coxswain. So you were naturally already had a base idea how to drive the boat, correct? And they just led you right to that because of your background. Led me right to that, which goes on future. Fast forward a little bit fo- forward, then where the First Marines Boathouse is in Twenty One area, I was the maintenance chief at the First Marines Boathouse for my next four years when I reenlisted. So I was the maintenance chief at a young age of. I think I was 20 at the time in charge of, you know, $10 million worth of gear, running all the crews, making sure the boats were up and running. And that was at, um, at 21 area. That was a, so you were like 17, just turned 18 when you went in for your first two years or was it three years? I was, uh, I was 19 when I first joined. I got out of graduated high school. I did a year of college and I was 19 when I joined the Marine Corps. And then I was, I was probably 20, 20 years old when I went to the boathouse. 21, 21. Wow. I was a young kid. Man, yeah. that's a lot of responsibility for, for anybody, for anybody at that age, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you must have done well. Yeah. Just, uh, I guess I've been lucky. Always getting put in these right places at the right time and said, okay, I'll take care of it. I've just been very fortunate, I guess. Right. But, well, I know your work ethic now uh, means that you do uh, uh, a lot of uh, work besides your regular job. Yeah. Um, so I know that you have a, a pretty firm work ethic. And, yeah. and, and when we want to go have fun, which our fun is going to the cave and, and training with Coach PJ, yeah. sometimes you have to miss out and, and, and go work instead of show up there. Yeah, work calls sometimes, but that's... I. I I missed the cave too, the camaraderie there. That's part of the whole thing, going to the cave and doing the camaraderie right. training with guys. Obviously, I met you there and people just, that's a whole sidebar of knowing when I got in the military and went through the stuff that we all go through as military guys. It's, that's, you can't put a price, you can't put anything on, on that camaraderie, that, that bond, that strength. There's, I mean, well, and, and we're co ed there. And, and I believe that at the cave, 
you know, uh, for lack of a better word, other than what it is, there is a, there is a tight knit group of us that, that, you would consider us family and most oh, of us are older. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. That is, that's the K family. I mean, anybody would call, I mean, one of them, Jay Byrne and I called, she has a backup sewer. So we're trying to delegate, you know, trying to figure out how to get her taken care of tonight. That's just what you do with your family. Exactly. You take care of people. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's what the K, but yeah, I don't, maybe the military, I, I'm pretty sure it did not maybe, but it's gotten me stronger with that bond. I, uh, I just, just randomly, this is, I know we're talking, uh, a good Jaden and Jared, the guys brought up when their Joe, their older brother, that was a Marine. They called me three days ago. My dad's not doing too good and uh, didn't ask for any help. Then I didn't, this is, they just called me out of the blue. Well, they went to my dad's house and fixed their plumbing, fixed his heater, just did this out of, out of just out of respect. And I, and I was so grateful and so thankful to him. I'm like, wow. And I haven't, I haven't talked to Jared in probably 10 years. Jaden, the younger brother, he's a year younger than, no, he's my age. He haven't graduated yet. Same age as mine. But uh, I just, I was so thankful and that, and I remember I'm like, Jaden, let me, you know, cut me a check or let me, let me invoice you, give you some money or something. He was so appalled at saying that to him. He goes, oh, we're family. And it hit me hard. I'm like, you're right, we're family, which goes on, ties into everything else that goes on. I know we're talking military, but that was, well, this just happened right, right, just recently. Well, I mean, it, it, it comes from the growing up in the background that you have with your family. I was just going to ask you about the things and the lessons that your mom and dad taught you growing up uh, and how the military and that work together to make you the man you are today. Yeah. We've got a great question. Uh, so my dad was never around. He always worked. Uh, my mom was a stay at home mom and she was kind of like, she was in the, I call it the seventies land. So portrayed it any way you want. She was in the seventies land the whole time. Uh, I've always said that I've just been been blessed or gifted or luck. I just I've always picked like the right people to hang around when I was a young kid. Uh, I remember going. Uh, his name's Alex Bouch. He was my best man at my wedding. I was best man at his wedding. I would go to his house to parents just to study, and his parents would make me study. They, you know, it was just <coughs> I always found a way to go the right way. I don't know how or way that happens in life, but that's what I always did as a kid. I could have turned out extremely the opposite end and nothing would have happened. The typical Midwest lifestyle kid, uh, kid that a few guys that I grew up with, I mean, they were all dead because they OD'd on heroin back in Illinois, but I just, I never went that direction. And I, I don't know, maybe I, I don't know how that ever happened. I know the military helped me tremendous to stay completely away from that and grow and have a family and do everything. I did not want to, you know, what I watched growing up as a kid. I know that 100%, but even as a kid, I was making adult decisions, which weren't even adult decisions. Now, not to say, I mean, I did some dumb or kids, you know, we did some <laughs> dumb stuff, but I've always been going in the right direction. It's weird. And I, I, people ask me, and I'm like, I don't know. Divine intervention, maybe? It's maybe divine intervention. Just my sisters ask me, she's like, how did you know to go to Alex's parents' house to do homework? And, and you know, we turned in the same term, we turned in the same term paper together. I got an A, he got a B, you know, just stuff like that. It's just random how it plays out. So that goes, that's before the military days when I was a young kid. Do you think your dad's work ethic is what brought a portion of your work ethic into to play now? I believe so. Yeah. We're, uh, and, and my, my history of my dad and my, my, Great grand or my great grandpa, my grandpa, my dad. I'm sorry, the, the fingers. Yeah, I'm a talker with hands. They all they all worked at the steel mill, 
and Granite City. I knew that I did not want to be a steel mill worker. I wanted to go travel. I wanted to see the world. Do you think that there's a... Uh, I was listening to a conversation about um, America and the Midwest and the steel workers and the people that worked in the coal mines and things like this and the pride that they had in these positions because the, the ore that they refined or, or, or dug out of the ground. And then the guys in the steel mills mills were um, proud because their steel was building cars and, mm -hmm. you know, or building a high rise and they had this extra pride. Um, and I was just wondering, did your dad, did you see, sense that from your dad? Absolutely. Uh, as you were bringing that up to me too, kind of that's kind of a lost thing that I forgot about that with my dad. I remember my mom would uh, take him lunches to work in a little thermos cooler, and you know they'd be smoking in the car. We roll the windows rolls, you know, windows roll down, smoke comes billowing up. But my dad would walk out, and he was proud to be a steel worker. Absolutely, he was. He did it for thirty-seven years, and he just retired probably six years ago. But I know he was proud to be a steel worker. Wow. So, so sure. he worked. What, how old is he now? Uh, he's 60, 66, 66 years old. So he had you when, when he was young. He was young. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He was pretty young. That's crazy. And he kept his job even through this the, the economic slowdown? Yep. Yeah. Even when they shut the steel mill down, they, uh, he was one of the older dogs that they stayed there working. They never, never let him go. That's unusual. It was. He must, he must have had some work ethic and some knowledge to keep him. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did. I, I remember going to the steel mill with him one time. They did like an open house. And uh, me, I was myself, my dad, and two guys we were with we were on the front page of the steel mill gazette. I remember that was a big deal to him because we made the page. And <laughs> I was just a young little kid walking around. <laughs> just checking it out. He's checking it out. That's awesome. <laughs> That's kind of cool. And, and you never worked in the steel mill at all? Never did. No. No, never did. Once I turned... Uh, 19, I left Illinois. I never went back. That's where I'm here in California. Wow. Yep. So you met your wife and, and, and put roots down here. I did. Yeah. How does dad feel about that? Oh, they were happy for me. Uh, they knew I was, they, they knew I was never going to stay. I was just, if I said I was going to do something, if I wanted to go be an astronaut, I would have went and tried to be an astronaut. I was just, I said something. I, I don't think I just act. That's, that's Which good. Is, yeah. So let's get back on your military career a little bit. So did you see anything? Uh, how much traveling did you get to do really? Oh, a ton. Uh, before all the wars happened, you know, September 11th, we were, I went to uh, Dubai, UAE, Hawaii a few times, Fiji. We went to uh, Thailand, Guam, Singapore. Uh, where are the other places? These are all Liberty ports. We got to go off the ship and, you know, experience the town and, Live like a young Marine. That any way you want to. But, uh, we're not going to go there. Yes. Those were the, uh, the before the war days. But we were in Darwin, Australia when September 11th happened. And uh, that day, we were, it was my duty to be shore patrol duty. So shore patrol is, excuse me, you're basically like a military police on shore patrol. And then once that happened, all the uh, Australians are like, hey, mate, your building's been blown up. And we're, you know, we're there having fun, drinking, you know, doing... Because it was morning here, but it's nighttime in Australia. Mm -hmm. And everybody was partying. And once we saw that on TV, that's when pretty much like chaos happened. All the all the Aussies and Aussies families, they were getting us back to our ships and um, getting on, you know, something happened. Uh, that night, it took probably about four hours, five hours to get everybody accounted for. And, you know, we had to do head count over head count, make sure everybody was accounted for. 
And then uh, we were in Pakistan literally two days, about two and a half, three days later. We were in Pakistan. That's when they on the ground or in the on the port. We were on the boat. We were on the boat. We didn't hit ground until about a week later in Pakistan. That's when they did our uh, the first infiltration from Pakistan into Afghanistan. Okay, and we were we were there because we were the on deployment. Was it combat terms at that point, or was it just? Um... It was considered combat terms. Now, our our who I was with Bravo company one, one, we didn't see any combat, no firefight. We were just there. It was the worst living conditions of our entire life. We sat in a hole for about five months living in a hole. That's what we did. We dug holes around the perimeter of a big air force base that the special forces secured beforehand. And that was our base to bring in supplies and materials. And we were the perimeter perimeter security around the whole entire base. That's in a few other, other companies. And no contact, no contact, nothing. I think the the big joke was one camel came in and it, the camel got shot up because they thought it had bombs on it. <laughs> that was a, the biggest combat we saw in Afghanistan. But that was early day, or very early in September 11th. And how long were did you go back? I never went back to Afghanistan. No, once we were there, uh, we came back after our deployment was over, and that's when uh, Bush declared war on Iraq, and then uh, then. Out to Iraq, we went. So you did. You got deployed to Iraq. We got deployed to Iraq. How long were you there? I was in Iraq for eight, uh, seven months. Let's see. I got married in April. That was no. I'm gonna I'm gonna step back a little bit. So we got my my wife and I. We were our wedding was planned for April 20th, 420, which I didn't know what 420 was till later in life. Obviously, it's a term for getting stoned. Getting stoned. But that was our job. Are you a stoner? Not at all. <laughs> Never will be. <laughs> So, four twenty. Right? I know, I know. Just never know. I'm not not big into that. But uh, so that was four twenty. We got married. Uh, I had to call her once and let her know that our our deployment got extended because we were supposed to be home in February. Well, that wasn't. I just let her know that hey, we're not we're not going to make it. Fortunately, I got home. I think on April first, when I was able to make our wedding, April twentieth, four twenty. But then again, I got married. We did our thing, and then it was like six months later, out to Iraq. And that's when there, how, if you don't mind me prying a little yeah, bit, how, how was she handling that? Uh, Afghanistan, she did good. Uh, she did. Cause that was, I mean, we were talking, communicating via, you know, cardboard boxes from MREs. It was kind of like a, you see in the movies in Vietnam war. I mean, it was, it was a new thing for everybody in the first war, but yeah, once I got back, we were home. I, I remember I told her, okay, I, I want to have a kid. I remember I want to have my, I want to, I want my Howard name to go on. And she's like, absolutely. So we went to Vegas and got pregnant <laughs> that quick. It was, it was amazing, but I knew something was going to happen with either Afghanistan or there was already, already talks of Iraq gonna, going on. So went to Vegas, got, got pregnant. And I, I literally left. She was maybe a month and a half, no, maybe two months pregnant. And then I go to Iraq and then, uh, we'll give the whole Iraq talk about Iraq. I'm wide open on that. And then, uh, I side note off. I finally came home. I'll give that end of the story. When I came home, my daughter was 12 days old when oh, I came wow. home from Iraq on, the, on our, my first trip out there. So you missed all that. I missed the whole entire birth, the whole of pregnancy and everything. And then the, there's some pluses and minuses. There is some pluses and minuses because <laughs> I was there for baby number two the whole time, <laughs> which that's a, that was, that was quite ironic. But yeah, when I came home, my daughter was 12 years old. 12 uh, days old or 12, 12 days old. You know, it was kind of a surreal thing, but I'm going to go back 
to when with Audrey, how she took care of it. I always told her that I was playing video games the whole time. The day she didn't know I was playing video games is when uh, we were in Ramadi. We got ambushed. and I took shrapnel on the left arm, the leg, and the back. And so I got wounded. Well, the military just has to call and say, your husband's been wounded in action. That's all they tell him. So you can interpret that to how, you know, she doesn't know the severity. Mm-hmm. So luckily, I was, I did well. I had a bunch of guys underneath me. We were trained. We trained every day hard. And one of my SEALs walked up to me and gave me a sat phone. And a sat phone's, that's a satellite phone. I was able to call yeah. Audrey and let her know, hey, I'm fine. I took a, took a shrapnel on the leg or in the arm. That one punctured the skin, went out or actually stayed in, fell out later. The one on the leg hit my skull can, all Marines chew tobacco, and it refractored off my skull can. And the one on my back hit my sappy plate, the bulletproof plate, and stopped the penetration. Out of all of them, the one that hurt worse was the one that hit my back, felt like a horse kicked you. But I uh, let her know that everything was okay. But then she realized that I wasn't playing video games the whole time. And it was. So did that go like over like a lead balloon? Uh, you know, she just asked me if I was okay. I mean, she's a, she was a tough Hungarian woman, kind of tough about it. And right there, she was hugely pregnant. So I think, and it was hot in the summer here in California. So I think she just wanted to get the baby out of me. Please come home at that point. Because when you hear her story, it's kind of, you know, she just kind of went with every day. Like I never left. It was kind of weird. Like I never went away because I did communicate with her. I kept, you know, via email because we had email there and pretty interesting when you, when you think about it. Back in the- and Ramadi is the place that Jocko Willink talks about. Yes. Was it crazy bad when you were there? Like he talks about? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was like a video game. I mean, it was, it was on every day, every day you'd go out, you get in multiple firefights. Uh, you'd be sitting back at the fob, which is our forward operating base. We lived at Uday's palace. So we had a nice little room at Uday's palace and, uh, it's nothing to hear boom, boom, bombs blowing up at night, you know, trying to, they're trying to drop rockets on our position inside the palace. It was, it was like what you see on a video game. I mean, there'd be days we'd go out and if you got a couple rounds shot at you, fired at you, that was a good day. And there's some days where you went out and you had nothing, but it was more, you're, you're seeing action every day. How did that play with your psyche? Uh, it did fine for a while until it took me, it was about 13 years later after getting out, where I hit, where I hit my little, my psyche part. And it was, it was just, uh, my whole thing was running my business and seeing some people, how bad they are and how corrupt stuff was. And it, it hit me more the camaraderie part and being around my brothers for a long time. It, it, it I just, I kind of sheltered away instead of going out and getting help or talking. And I kept myself busy by fishing, working, hunting, just staying, keep myself extremely busy. And I, I, I didn't notice myself until 13, 14 years later, how bad it really not a now I don't want to say bad because I think it's a it's a it's a fight or flight situation. But when you get in that fight or flight, you're always gonna find a way out and succeed. I believe that in a lot of military guys. Some go, a lot of them self-medicate. They, you know, the 22 veteran suicide awareness. I mean, you hear all that all the time. Yeah. It depends on a lot of the individual person how they take that. Uh you look at American Sniper. Look at Chris Kyle. What you know? They made a movie out of him. He's obviously extremely famous for his movie, and he went through some tough, challenging times too. He was coming home with his family and what they portray, and and he was a right. local guy up here in Alpine. I mean, a lot of people know his family. Just right. depends on how you perceive it. Well, he went out and started taking military guys and doing the shooting out in Texas. Mm-hmm. Obviously, ended not well with him. But right, um, I have a good friend of mine. Uh, we I call him Major Dave. Uh, He's not a major. He was a lieutenant colonel when he 
when he got out just, mm-hmm. uh, I believe November. So, uh, November 19, I believe he, he, he got out. Uh, he was in uh, 32 years, 33 years, something like that. And I met him through the ATV industry, uh, through, uh, uh Tim Orchard at OMF, um, and bones. Um, uh, they, uh, were friends with him and they had helped him with his ATVs and he went on deployment and his trailer got stolen and he lost all his 700 XX and his TRX 450R. Mm-hmm. So they were scrambling, trying to get some pieces together. Uh, they reached out to Duncan racing, my brother, uh, Lauren and I, um, and that's how I became friends with him. Well, not knowing what, PTSD is and not understanding, uh, how these things affect everybody. I got to know Dave pretty well. We got to spend some time racing together. Uh, you know, I got to, to, uh, meet his family. You know, we just, we just became friends. Yeah. And after his, I don't even know which deployment it was. He came back and he was a different guy. Yeah. Not a lot different. He was still Dave, but you could tell he was stressed Yeah, driving down the road. He, he had made a comical comments to me about it took him. It's it still, he still gets used to driving down the road and seeing that cardboard box, that idea know, or the, the plant, you know, that just doesn't look like it's supposed to be there. And, 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 and he had some trouble when he came back. Um, I, I think occasionally he still may have some issues every once in a while, yeah. but um, I, I learned a little bit there, not a lot because I didn't, I don't like to delve into it too much. It's, right. it's personal, it's private. And, and if somebody wants to talk about it, you know, I, I'm, I love the military. I wish that I would have chosen that, mm-hmm. uh, the display that you can see over my uh, right shoulder. That's my grandfather, uh, who was in the Navy. Uh, he was on the wasp. Um, my brother-in-law who's married to my wife's sister, his father was on the same ship. Wow. And we found out over Thanksgiving that that that, that was happening. So wow. my grand, my other grandfather was in the army. He built. Uh, uh, he was in the army as a and as an MP, and then he was also in the Navy, uh, building ships here in San Diego in the shipyard. So there's wow. some military background yeah. here. My dad was in the Naval Reserves. My brother and I skipped um, because it was kind of for a while. It was it wasn't popular. No. Um, I don't ever know why it wouldn't, wouldn't be popular, maybe because of Vietnam or Korea, uh, which I think is a total farce. Uh, people need to pull their, you know, what's out of there, you know what, but that, that's neither here nor there. I just am infatuated with the military. And I think that I would have excelled in that environment. Absolutely. Knowing you now, who, cause of who I know who you are with your drive and ambition, you would, you would have been, yes, you would have succeeded. Uh, you know, I just but, can't, I just can't see me not wanting to, it, that's the worst possible thing we could go do. Yeah. I'll go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. You know, <laughs> you know, jump off that cliff. Absolutely. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm scared to death of heights, but okay. Yeah, ready to go. <laughs> you tell me that first parachute's going to save me. All right. Just make sure I was packed by a government, not, not a government employee though. You'll be good. <laughs> I want to know I packed my own chute. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to know that the guy that taught me how to pack my chute wasn't a government employee. Good call. Yes. <laughs> He's already done it like 20 jumps before, before you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you went through Ramadi, you made it back. Um, mm-hmm. Coach PJ mentioned something to me that did you get a purple heart for, for that incident or was it something else? No, that was the incident where I got, I received a purple heart. 
Uh, we got wounded in action that day. Uh, kind of another funny story off of that. After we got ambushed from the, uh, it was the Sunnis that came but and ambushed us there in Ramadi. Uh, we were driving home that same day. We had a bunch of casualties. Uh, nobody got no KIAs, which is killed in action. Right. We had a bunch of WIAs wounded in action. I think there was about 25, 30 of us in that same position where we got hurt. We're driving home. We get another big firefight on the way home, a huge one. And it's just like, does it ever give up? You know, we're at the point we're just tapping. We just want to get back to our base, lick our wounds and see, you know, take come back tomorrow. And yeah, come back tomorrow. But it, it just, that wasn't, that's combat. It's not, you gotta, you gotta, I mean, you gotta act. You, you can't, there's never, you can't give up the zero quit term. I mean, that's, that's a great term from it. Yeah. That's a huge term. I mean, you just can't ever give up. Yeah, I think I think Coach PJ would have excelled in the military as well. I do too, absolutely. Yeah. We've always talked about that millions of times, and I've taken him on the. Obviously, I work for the government. I've taken him on base. Uh, when they were filming Top Gun two over at North Island, I remember taking him down there, and he was just so beside himself about the, the monstrosity, how big everything is, and he's. But his mom said, "Nope." <laughs> but uh, you know, my parents. Um, I had an opportunity to do that, and I chose not to for whatever reason. Um, I I don't know. Maybe I was just too into comfortable life. Uh, I don't know. You know, maybe I was just a dumb kid. Uh, I didn't go to college uh, because I didn't, I didn't see a need. I I went to, I made it through high school because of sports. Right. Uh, And when I get to college, I'm five, nine, a hundred or 210 pounds. And the guy that's got my position is six, five, two sixty five. You're not going to compete. I, yeah. I'm not going to get the spot. I'm not even going to get to to see the field. I'm going to be a blocking dummy in practice and just get the hell beat out of me. Yeah. Um, and I just decided, you know, it's just not for me. I just don't want to, I just don't want to go do that. Right. So uh, I went to work. Uh, I went to work for my dad, you know, at first uh, it was called Danny's machine works at that point. Um, and then an opportunity to go build houses came up and I went and built some houses. Um, but that, that being said, I want to stay on track here with Ramadi. Right. And you got in that second firefight. I'm assuming there were more wounded or you guys. Uh, No, we just, we just, we ran right through it. Took our Humvees. Uh, Fortunately, no one got hurt on that. We just drove through it and, Got right back to our base. We opened up and just went straight to uh, to medical to get as many people out. Then we do a thing called a uh, just basically like an after action report. You get everybody together, find out, and let's get ready to go back out and see what's you know who ambushed us. Get our intel and go out there and go go get them. And then go and take take the fight back to them. Take the fight back to the them. Day. Yeah, because we we sustained a lot of uh, a lot of injuries in that first ambush they got on us. Uh, we, that night we were going to go out and do uh, it's called the IED sweep go out and find out all their IDs. We got some intel. They had a bunch on the roads and a bunch of boot traps in, in the fields. And and that's what an ID sweep is. Uh, I guess somehow the intel got leaked. We found this out way later. I mean, year, maybe two years later on this, you know, firefight we got into that it got leaked out somewhere. And that's why they were able to ambush our position. But then we counteracted and we got them. <laughs> we, we got them. So... So when you watch the movies and you see these guys preparing their gear and stuff, how close to real is that? Oh, some of the movies now, it's, it's spot on. Uh, the movie Generation Kill, it's an HBO miniseries. Uh, there's a few got real good friends of mine that were, they played their characters in there uh, back when we were at the boathouse. 
And a guy named Rudy Reyes, he actually played his own character. So he was able to help out Hollywood and dress and act and do the movements. It's just that they've, they've really nailed it spot on. And it's, it's very, that's what I say. I mean, it's like, I watch some of the movies like, wow, they did just like what we were going through. Right. That's pretty amazing. Does it, does it affect you seeing it at all? Some, I mean, it used to not, not so much anymore, but it, it does. I mean, it, it gets that, uh, that pit in the stomach. Uh, I can only, did you ever wrestle? When you were yes, a kid? I did. Remember when you get up there and you know, this number one guy and you know how awesome he is. He's like the God's gift of wrestling and you're going to go against him. That, that feeling you get in your stomach. I call it the, the I was too stupid to have that feeling. Oh, uh, you just went up there and did it. Yeah. I, this is going to be ironic. The stud guy, when I was a sophomore or a junior was a guy named Chip Duncan. Okay. No relation. All right. And, and he was, he was, he was the best, you know, everybody talked about him Had talked about him for years mm-hmm. and we were going to forfeit. And I said, coach, I'll wrestling. Yeah. What do you get to lose? You're giving up six points either way. If he kills me, he kills me. If he doesn't, Hey, you know, if he only beats me, you only give up three points. Right. You know, and I went out there thinking that I could, you know, handle this guy. I was giving up uh, like 15 or 18 pounds, but Hey, you know, the rest was like, all right, if you want to go out and try it, try it. I lasted until the second round, you know, before I got pinned, but Hey, I, I, I still went out there and, and gave it my best you know, and, and uh, uh, thoroughly got thrashed. Oh, yeah. He was so far superior a wrestler. To me. Right. There's always somebody better than you. Anything you do. I, mean, I, I was never a, I was an okay wrestler. I was never a good wrestler or considered great. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I just, I like the physical demanding sport. Yeah. Uh, and it helped, one. it helped football, you know, so right. that's why I, I did it. But I, I do understand because when you're sitting on the starting line and the gate's about to drop. Yeah. So it's, it's you, it's whatever your talent is, his talent. You get that little, I call it that rush of the adrenaline, you know, that, that, that just, that it kicks in and every once in a while a movie will spark that at me. Not too much anymore, but it, I mean, they used to. Right. But yeah, no, I'm just, okay. Looks good. They did a great job. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. So when you guys got back to base and then you made it back out, um, what time frame was that in your deployment? Deployment Was it in the middle or the closer to the end? I think it was closer to right in the middle. Uh, no. Let's see. Let's see. Because I remember I... Uh, I was trying to get home for my daughter's birthday. That had to been towards the end. Towards the end, when we got in that big ambush. We got a few before that, but nothing like crazy as that one. But uh, that was towards the end, and I, I I wanted to get home to see the birth of my daughter. And that's a, another story I could go on to. I remember after we got in that big firefight, we didn't lose anybody. We didn't have any KIAs. Uh, we we were sitting inside our our FOB basically our fire operating base and watching our big screen TV. I'm going to say the big screen TV because I'm going to go back the story with that which cracks up this was a funny story but uh his name was uh captain johnson is it captain johnson yeah captain johnson walked in there and uh, my wife sent me a bottle of listerine but it had schlugwitz in it which is plum brandy and it was you know, that's how we got alcohol not supposed to but that's how we did it to let you know let loose a little bit and uh captain johnson goes oh, let's have some of that listerine and i was like all right because i was sergeant howard we go in there and uh he goes, great job today. Uh, you guys, thanks for making it out. My, myself and a guy named Brett Warming. Now he's, uh, now his name's Major Warming. He's a major now. He's still in the Marine Corps. He was a guy I went to Iraq with from the boathouse. And uh, 
He goes, is there anything I can do for you? And I'm like, I would love to get home to see the birth of my daughter. And that's all that's, we had a shot and that was it. But he did actually meet up to his status quo. And uh, about about a month later, I finally got to get home, which is after my daughter was born. But, but he gets as close as he can get. That's as close as he can get me. And that's a whole other story in itself, how I got home from Iraq. This is your deal. Let's, let's hear it. We'll be ready for that. This one's a funny one. Okay. There's going to be some, there's some stories that I got to tell because they're the ones that stick out, which are hilarious to me. So I finally get the okay. Uh, Captain Johnson was able to, able to get me going uh, myself and Brett. Cause my buddy, Brett warming, he took a big piece of shrapnel on his knee and he could not walk. And he was, he was on crutches. He was done at that point. So we went, we went to Iraq together for the, with the boathouse, bringing all the Zodiacs out there. Now we're coming back home together. And he was there, you know, real good friend of mine. And, uh, we were getting home. We didn't have any manifest. We didn't belong to anybody. So every time we flew to somewhere new, we left for Monty. We did, we, uh, they took us on a, a Humvee convoy from Ramadi to Baghdad. We got into Baghdad, uh, Brett and I, and we weren't on anybody's roster to fly home. I mean, a roster, everybody's, you're a number, you're a serial number, it's, that's the military. So me with my, I guess, nepotism or charisma, whatever you want to call it, I started networking, meeting a bunch of people around the, in Baghdad, not knowing anybody how to get home. Finally, we met the right people. It took us about six days, not sleeping, not eating. Brett can't walk anywhere. And we finally got found a, get a, a plane ride from Baghdad to Frank, uh, Germany. Frank, Frankfurt, not Frankfurt. What's a place in Germany called? Uh, starts with an F. Frankfurt? I think it is Frankfurt. Yeah, Frankfurt. Okay, so it's got to be Frankfurt, Germany. Yeah. So we finally finally get a, a position on an airplane to go there. Well, we're we're on the we're on the tarmac or whatever they call it, you know, on the runway, and <laughs> we got vetoed. <laughs> we got vetoed right there with our gear. So we're trying again. Anyway, long and short is Brett and I stayed in Baghdad for about three weeks before we were able to get on another plane to go from Baghdad to Frankfurt, and we finally. After three weeks, got on a plane. We made it to Frankfurt in Germany. We stayed in Germany for another week trying to get on a plane from Germany to March Air Force Base. And then uh, it actually came in where our first wave of, of Marines were flying in from Ramadi, the first wave out, because they were there before us, because everything had some going waves. They met us there at Frankfurt. So we were on that manifest to go from Frankfurt, our normal time if we would have stayed there longer to get out, which oh. was kind of ironic. But, uh, I remember now I, I now my daughter, we were flying from Germany. My daughter was born on August uh, 15th. This had been on August probably 10th or 11th. I remember telling my wife that, Hey, hold the baby in. I'm, I'm coming home. Just keep the baby in there. And uh, obviously she didn't, but we, uh, well, there are some things <laughs> that are good, I, which, which is good. But I remember we were, we were flying uh, fr- from Frankfurt to March Air Force Base and this guy named Corporal Eshelman. And uh, he was a guy, what, uh, like a communications guy. We call those guys in the rear. They're just, they're not real true quote unquote warriors. But we did a lot of training, teaching these guys how to, you know, do regular maneuver tactics that we've trained for years doing. And uh, I, he, I was sitting, he was sitting next to me, but I was his platoon sergeant. And at this time, I'm just, I'm right now I'm focusing. Okay. I'm going to get home. I'm going to be a dad. I just got done doing all this firefighting. And I remember Corporal Eshelman was talking to an airplane. This is a funny story that you're going to, you're going to laugh. That's why I'm telling this one. So he's talking to me and I've just led these guys through combat after mission, after mission, after mission, doing what we're doing. And uh, he's talking to me about what he's going to do with his girlfriend when he gets home. And, and I'm just, I got that thousand yard stare. I'm not even paying attention. 
And out of, out of nowhere, he just, uh, he goes, well, he goes, Sergeant, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get some rose petals. I'm going to put them on the stairs and I'm going to go home and kiss my wife or girlfriend and just love on her. And I, I'm not, I'm not even paying attention to him. I don't, I didn't know he's talking to me. And he goes, no, no, Sergeant, I'm going to take her home and grill some steaks. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that's what he thought just cause he, he thought I was being so macho again. Cause I'm not even listening to what he's saying, being all, all feminine. I'll never forget that story. And I just, he just, I started laughing. I just haven't laughed in a long time. <laughs> I remember just laughing. Uh, but that was a funny story getting home. But we, we land at March Air Force Base. And then uh, they had a bunch of uh, sirens and fire trucks going on and shooting water. You know, hey, welcome home, heroes. And about, there was say, I would say about 70 people on the airplane. We did not, we didn't want to get off. It was the craziest thing. We didn't feel safe because we heard all that loud noise and we just all of us gotten out of combat. So it took a couple minutes to get our bearings and I to get off the airplane. And myself and Brett, uh, they they had a bus from uh, Camp Portal to pick us up and drive us back down to, to Camp Portal. That's where I met my beautiful daughter for the first time. And I remember she set my arm from here to here. My in-laws picked, you know, they were there and it was, it was, it was surreal. I mean, I, I always play this back in the head and then talking, going to the VA, talking about people, all this stuff. And I'm always bringing out the good stuff now in the stories, not the bad stuff that, that we, you know, all the crap we went through in the back. And, uh, it was, I was at home. So we get 10 days of uh, cold leave, going to leave, but I went into a, I just, I got real sick. I mean, real sick. I was laying on my, my, well, I was laying in bed, but I was freezing, but I had like 103 temperature. And I remember my wife's like, something's wrong with you. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I got the flu. Well, that went on 10 days straight. I didn't get up. I just slept. I slept. I, I ate soup and I would just sweat. I went from a hundred and I think I was 170 pounds, like 140. I got real skinny. Well, my father-in-law said, Hey, we're taking you to the hospital. Something's not right. They took me to the hospital, got a bunch of cat scans, x-rays, and, it, and they told me I had mono. That's what they said I had, you know, the kissing disease. But I, I'm telling you that story because later I, I found a lot. I just, I shut down because after those 10 days, I came back and like nothing ever happened. Never talked about the wars. Didn't talk about anything. I was a dad now. I knew that I was either, if I stayed in the military, I'm going to be over in Iraq a bunch of times. I knew right there was a transition that I had to get out of the military. Hence, I'm a plumber now. My father-in-law was a plumber, but I was, uh, I just, my body fought it off a different way than everyone else. I'm sure there's millions of stories how people fought that battle. I just shut down and uh, it was crazy. I mean, I had a- So it was an emotional, it was an emotional, physical reaction. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them. I just, I shut it down. 10 days, I, I would just lay and sleep and sweat through like comforters. I remember- I remember my mother-in-law like grabbing the comforts full of sweat and they were just, you know, hydrating, hydrating until I lost all the weight. And that, that's when Lazo, my father-in-law took me to the, to the emergency room. And, was, and, and they didn't find anything really. They just assumed you know, that it was, they just assumed it was mono. And then until I, I realized, and when I had my first encounter, a few, probably five years, four or five years ago now with, I just shut everything down for years. Didn't talk about it. Didn't express, didn't explain kept myself busy differently, uh, kept myself extremely busy, just always busy, busy, busy. And that was my coping mechanism of PTSD. So do you think that you still have some residual effects because you still don't slow down? No, no, I don't. I mean, I think now I don't slow down as I've, I've gotten so accustomed to it and I've, I've learned to, that's part of who I am. But now I know that that whole avenue that I've came down was that whole 
fight or flight to keep myself going and, and persevere and not let, uh, basically not let anything harm me in any way. It was like a, it was like a flight jacket I put over myself to keep everything safe. Cause I didn't, I didn't know how to be a dad. I mean, I just got out of firefights every day and, and being around a bunch of dudes every day and, you know, just, uh, I didn't know how to transition. So I think my body shut down that way somehow back to when I was a kid and I could have taken the drug avenue or some other avenue of approach. I just always did something okay, different. different. And do you, do you think that the military doesn't understand how to bring you back home? I don't, not that they don't understand, but the military is so, uh, it's always focused, generalized. I mean, it's just, you got to get bodies in, bodies out. You're a number. You got to go in. You got to go out. Even if you're a lieutenant colonel, you're a colonel. I mean, there's always numbers they have to have. But I do think it's way better now, <coughs> excuse me, than it was years ago. I mean, there's so much VA assistance, so much help now. Comparative uh, Vietnam vets. I mean, look how many homeless people and they've never, they never got help. And they've always, most of them self-medicate or take, you know, take their own lives. Right. But I, I do believe now there's a lot more resource and opportunities for, for people to be better though. What, what do you think uh, is one of the best things that the military does for the veterans now? Uh, I mean, they're so there's, they do a lot of come. I mean, it's all camaraderie stuff getting together. I mean, just as simple as uh, there was this Navy SEAL team, a bunch of SEALs that did uh, did a huge ride, like a 300 mile ride from Boston to like Texas or something. And all these SEALs got together just to go ride a bike for some awareness. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah. That, um, gosh, I can't forget the guy's name that was telling me about it. I was listening to it um, in, a, in a podcast and yeah. they were talking about it. Um, uh, I think I was listening to, um, Chad Prather mm. and he has uh, a couple uh, former, or I don't know what the wording is, the seals yeah. uh, or, or special forces guys that come on his show and talk about it. So a couple of guys have written books and, yep. uh, you know, a couple of them are pretty intense dudes still. Most of them still are. That'd be a seven year old man still do 20 pull-ups. I mean, they just, you, you don't lose that. You don't lose it. You never do. Uh, Remember we did the Spartan together. That was big yeah. for me, you know, three guys, four guys doing it. So it's just you, I think it is, you go through so much crap, yeah, but you're always you're doing it together. You're welcome. I know. Thank you for that. <laughs> I mean, coach, coach. And I, uh, uh, we came back for you because you were having some struggles. I cramped up on mile one. Yeah. It was quick. Yeah. It was crazy quick. Yeah. That's why you train for those things. Uh, yeah. And, and you probably trained the least out of the, the, the three of us. And I probably, oh, by trained, far. I trained by far the most, by far the most. Yeah. You know, yeah. cause I ran and rode bicycles and went you to trained the cave for and, uh, I lost, uh, I mean, I was like two, I don't think I ever got down below two thirteen, but I was two something, you know, I was still over 200 pounds. Yeah. But you were fit that, I mean, you were extremely fit at that time oh, and you yeah. trained for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't get cramps. I didn't cramp until close to the end, but then coach gave me that, um, those two little packets of, uh, electrolytes. Yeah. 
and I put them in a Dixie cup and it almost filled the whole Dixie cup. And, and he said, you're not supposed to do it that way. You have <laughs> to have more that. water and all that. That's what are you talking about, dude? I, that's all I had. <laughs> I mean, you gave me a, you gave me the two and, and I had, a, they handed me a Dixie cup of water at that station. That's all there was. Yeah. I was out of water in my pack and, you know, you had to do what you did. So I, so I ate the, the electrolytes instead of drank them. Instead of drank them, you ate them. <laughs> um, and, and it stemmed it off. I mean, you were using the mustard packets and all kinds of other yeah, stuff. Yeah, mustard. People give me mustard packs. My calves are cramped up in my, you know, hamstring. I'm like, oh, I'll take that. I'll take whatever I can. Just make it to the end. Well, yeah, and we did. You yeah, know? we did. Yeah, we, uh, did. we walked a big portion of it. You know? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think I ever want to run 13 miles like that again, but I probably will. I can't wait to do another one. I'm going to struggle because I have knee issues that have reared their ugly heads and you know, <laughs> my shoulders gotten worse, but uh, you know, it, it, I still love it. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. it's like going in the cave, you know, you, you, Same thing. Yep. You, it's brutal some days, but you go, you go anyways, just because you can't, I mean, I mean, we missed tonight. Yeah. We, were, we were planning on going tonight and working. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I had a, a situation at work. I couldn't leave. You had a job you couldn't leave. Typically, yeah. Uh, and coach is blowing up both of our phones going, Hey, what's up guys? You know? Oh, is that his blowing us up right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cause I texted him 911 earlier for Jay burn. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was just wondering if we were still talking and I said, yeah. So, okay. <clears throat> I'll get back with him later. But so you got home and your father-in-law Which hooked is- you up as a plumber or did you already have plumbing skills? No. So it's, uh, this was never wanted to be a plumber. Never thought, Hey, I'm going to wake up and be a plumber. But, uh, <laughs> excuse me. It goes, uh, it was on Christmas Eve or Christmas day. This is, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be a life of Marine. I know that I'm going to be in the Marine Corps. That's what my goal was. I was going to be a life of Marine and be a personal trainer, which I was at 24 hour fitness while I was in the Marine Corps. So I did that. I mean, I was all big into exercises. You, you know, I, I have a gift at it. I'm a knack at it. It's just comes natural to me, but, uh, yeah, you kill us every time. You it, it, and it's a lot of fun. It's just, that's we're it's a blessing to have that talent. And, uh, it was on Christmas Eve and we're sitting at Lazlo and Georgie's, which is my in-laws. And, uh, Lazlo gets a phone call from a contractor and uh, they were like, "We need, we need you here now." And on Christmas Eve, and Lazo owning Lakeside Plumbing at the, you know, at the time, he's like, "Oh, what am I going to do?" And he goes, looks at me, he goes, "Curtis," because he's got an accent. So I always try to do the accent. Curtis, you want to go dig a hole? I'll give you a couple hundred dollars. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll go dig. I know how to dig a hole. I dug thousands of holes, you know, fighting holes. And then uh, it was so we hop in the truck, his work truck. That's the tank that I'm driving now. I still drive that thing to this day. Got a little memory, you know. Memories right there. And uh, we drive all the way to Rancho Santa Fe and we had to dig down to the sewer main where he left in. It's called the test weenie. I don't know what any of this is, but I just dig a hole. He's an old man. I dig a hole real quick for him. We dig it up and he's got to repair it for one of his general contractors. And that right there is where it first started. I start asking questions about the whole sewer system. I don't know where it goes. I mean, not, not a lot of people do, but it goes, you know, out of your house into the street. And that's where you have your main tie. It's called a lateral. And I remember asking Lazo these questions and he's like, Oh, he goes, I'll take you to work. I'll teach you how to plumb. <laughs> That's how he talks. Like, cause I was asking questions. And, uh, so on some weekends I'd go out and work with him, getting that fatherly, you know, father-in-law bond, just hanging out with him. Cause I consider him more as a dad than my real dad. He taught me a trade, taught me a lot of things in life. Uh, he's also another part of a good work, work ethic. He came to America with 67 cents in his pocket, a pack of Winston's. He considers himself a real wetback because he swam across the Danube to escape the Russian uh, 
regime, the Stalin regime. And I mean, just his story in itself as a whole, you could do a clip on him. It's amazing how he escaped Russia to America and been successful, but he's always worked hard. I mean, that's, that was my father-in-law. Another thing I got lucky with in life, right. just meeting somebody and we both took a liking and he uh, taught me the trade and you, and I went from there and he just told me to go to school. So why, I, why I knew I was getting out of the ring Corps the last six months, I was actually going to plumbing school uh, before I was going to reenlist. Cause I knew that I wanted to be a dad and raise my kids. And I knew I'd be in Iraq all time and the Marine Corps, which I was at the first Marines boathouse, uh, was Colonel Toolin at the time. That's where I got a damn called the Navy achievement medal. Uh, we did really well keeping the boathouse organized. And I think, I mean, it goes down to called a hokey Roberts file, a little thing. We didn't lose anything. We had our inventory, right? We just, we kept everything good while we were there. Everything was great and tip top shape. It was ready hundred percent operational. And I remember I tell them, I'm like, Oh, is it, can I go to school? And they're, I think it's college. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to plumbing school. I'm going to go to trade school. Well, people don't see that all the time. They were all for it. So the Marine Corps let me go to school two days a week, going to plumbing school while I was still in the Marine Corps the last six months. That's how I got the trade. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Super unusual. Very unusual. And I I laugh at it because when I got out of, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I knew more trade. I could, I could do anything better than, you know, plumbers have been in, in the field for four years. I can do it, you know, not mathematically, but I can do it. Meticulously. Meticulously. I could write it on paper. I could give you the codes. I could do everything because I just studied it for weeks on end. And with our brain, we don't, you know, it's just like anything else. You just, you just go with it in the Marine Corps. You just, that's what you do. So I was at, at the boathouse studying the whole time, just getting A's on all the exams. And it's kind of funny. So I, when I finally get out, I knew all the code. I didn't know how to solder pipe. I had no idea, but I could, I knew where it was supposed to come from, where, you know, out of these picture units, I knew all that stuff. So my father-in-law was like, okay, you know, wise guy. So he just threw me in the fire and he was hard as he was, he was just like a drill instructor, like anyone else. He was just hard, old school roots, but he taught me, uh, the trade of plumbing. And I went out in three years and went on my own, got my license. That's awesome. Yeah. How did you get back into where you work now? Ah, so a great question. Back in 2006 and seven, when the economy went, went down, so I'm plumbing the whole time I'm plumbing the, uh, the economy took just a, you know, hit. Well, I was working for my father-in-law and he's a small company. His work slowed down. And then there's a company called DG plumbing, Danny green plumbing, yep. which my good friends, Josh and Jason own it. Now <coughs> I went over to DG. We were doing a bunch of high rises. We're all making, you know, foreman wages, 25, 30 bucks an hour in those days. And, uh, he kept like six, six of us working. He had to let everybody go and he kept his, top guys, but we're all family because Josh and Jason were brothers to me. And it was just family at that time. And, uh, I felt bad for Danny. I'm watching him make payroll and do all this. He's taking stuff on his house and I'm, I'm watching him do this, but he's a businessman. And, uh, one day I had an epiphany, my wife, uh, being an investigator, she goes, why don't you go in USA jobs? and see if you can be a federal employee. I was like, okay, it's one o'clock in the morning. Can't sleep because I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, we don't know if we're going to work next week. I, I, I don't know. I went on USA Jobs, found a plumber position. Said plumber. Said okay. I applied to it. Made up a resume. Took about three hours online, and <laughs> two days later, I get a call from the federal government to be a plumber. And that's how I got in the federal system. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> just ironically, just 
threw it out there. Got lucky. Yeah. Again, again, again. And then I joined the federal government. I was there for about five years. Uh, it was, it was, it was a great, I mean, it's a great job. You're never going to get rich doing it. You're going to make a decent living, but it's a, it's a good job to meet good people. Uh, a lot of, a lot of prior military guys, which I obviously love doing. And then, uh, it wasn't until when did I quit to, when, when did Trump take, uh, take office? So 2016. 16. So I quit in 2016 thinking, all right, I'm going to quit the government. I did. And I'm going full, full born stars and pipes. And that's what I did from 2016. I just recently came back about two years ago. But I didn't want to come back as a plumber. That's why I got hired back on. Well, I came back in as a work leader. And then I uh, started applying a bunch of jobs, learning, running my business. I'm more suitable for a project manager at my age now, which I currently am an engineer, project manager, MCRD, but my government job. And then I still run Stars and Pipes. Still work my butt off. <laughs> exactly. Still work my butt off. But I don't expect it's ever going to change. It probably won't. No. And it's, and I enjoy doing both. Uh, I really love the engineering job that we do. I mean, we make a lot of decisions, but with all the military history background and construction I have, I'm able to help some contractors around that, you know, come on base and do work. And it's been, it's been very uh, rewarding. I can, there's a car wash we built on MCRD. You know, I'm big on stars and pipes and logo. That's, you know, I always wear American flags. First time I don't have a bandana in American flags, they're all dirty. Right. But on the car wash, when you drive in, uh, a little thing we put on there is it's all stars and pipes and the little turn thing goes over me instead of being like a white or black. So we right. put the American flag on it. It's just a little trademark. And I've been, it's like, that's cool. That's something we do in design phase that we throw out there and it, it's done. You see it built. So that's been a, awesome. That's been a very rewarding job. If, if you had to, Put into words, and this might be emotional for you, it might not be. Um, what message could you give the younger people that are listening to this um, to help them make choices, better choices in their life? I would say try going one day away from all social media. Take your phones off. Take just, just. Just isolate yourself away from it for one day and see how they do from that. If they can go on day number two to make a good decision. First thing I do is when you when you get up in the morning, you go in the whatever you have to do in the morning, brush your teeth, just look in the mirror and tell myself, I'm gonna do I'm gonna make today better than I did yesterday. That would be a message I'd give somebody. Because yesterday's already in the past, it's gone. You can't do anything about it. But you can make tomorrow or today when you're in the morning a better day than you did yesterday. Be a message for everybody. Everybody, yeah, yeah. not just just. No, I mean, everybody. I mean, we we. Not that we ever take life for granted, but I mean, kind of do. I mean, you can wake up tomorrow and not make it, but I mean, just every day is a gift. Enjoy it. it Enjoy is. it to the fullest. It is. A friend of mine said, uh, "Not everybody makes it to gray hair, so appreciate it." Appreciate, it. yeah. What about white hair? Well, same, same, <laughs> I'm, same I'm catching up to you. Well, dude, I've, I've been white haired for, uh, I was white haired in my forties. So forties. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it, I've had it a long time. It started turning white when I was about 32 years old, right above my ears. And, uh, it didn't take long for it was, it was almost all white. Nice. Uh, I have relatives that my mom was telling me about that. Uh, one of the ladies was white haired at 35 years old, you know? 
Wow. <laughs> I mean, for a lady, that's kind of rough. But so then, since I know we're doing live video, we're talking, I'm going to share a little story which happened to me because obviously we've been talking about the cave and Coach PJ, which we love like a brother. A uh, little side note is when, when he was being STPD, I thoroughly enjoyed running the reins and taking over for him. I, I thought that was, I mean, I'm more passionate about that than I could be anything else. I would, if I found a way to do that and make a living, I would do that every day. But three or four days ago, him and I were working on a job together. And I told him I'm, I'm bringing this up because it, it, it hit me just with a ton of bricks. This lady, uh, elderly lady, uh, really nice. She goes, uh, she goes, oh, it's no, so nice to see a father and son working together. <laughs> well, guess who the father was? You. I was. <laughs> I'm like, I told him, I was like, you're not working with me anymore. We're done. I, you know, you're done. <laughs> you're freaking feeling out of, of aging crisis, whatever you are. But. Well, yeah. If you look at him, you think he's in his 30s. 30s, yeah. And just... He's, I'm like, I'm only 41 years old. I mean, and then she said that. And then, and then I, I didn't say anything to it. And then at the end of the day, she's like, oh, it's so great to see uh, father and son working together. I'm like, and then I, I just want to say, who's, who's the dad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because Crazy. I mean, it, it, it is a, it is a different thing, especially when we go in there and work out and, and, and train. And I love it when the, when the big studs come in, you know, when you see those young studs come in. Oh, and they gas uh, out in twenty minutes. Yeah, and you're like, dude, what's wrong with you? Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a struggle this year. I've been struggling all year. Mm-hmm. I think it started last year with the schedule I was trying to keep, right? And I haven't caught back up. Um, you know, plus you like me, I like it. I like the heavy days better than I like the the body endurance. Yeah, you know, the, the, yeah. those body days are just like, oh god, don't listen to this, BJ. <laughs> you know, <laughs> listen, yeah, because he always makes you do things that are just hell. Right. Uh, but when he makes his carry heavy, you know, I'm, I'm all game for, game for that. Make yeah. it heavier, make it harder. Run. Everybody else struggles and I don't. And that's and the heavy I, days. Yeah, yeah, I love the heavy days. And that's what everybody's got strength and weaknesses. Everybody does. So, yeah, but I pay for those heavy days the next day or oh, the yeah. day after, you know, because yeah. that's just no as you get a little older, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dead yet. You know, I'm still 50, I'm 54, but. Uh, you're going to live to be 84. I got I hope. My dad's, my dad's 85 and, um, a few years back. And this is another inspirational, you know, I'll bring my dad on and, and, and I talk about my dad here on ATV talk a lot and I get him involved as much as I can. Uh, but I'll have him on because when he was 79 years old, he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, it was prostate cancer. It wasn't, wasn't anything, uh, it is life threatening, but it's controllable and, and they do some amazing stuff nowadays. Um, and in the middle of this, uh, he looks at my brother and I and goes, Hey, I want to buy a, a home CNC mill. And we're like, what? Uh, okay. Knock yourself out. And okay. in the conversation, we're like, you know how to use it? Oh, uh, no. Perfect. Uh, okay. So if you think that you're in your thirties or you're whatever, and you're too old to learn something, this man with cancer, with no idea where it's going, buys this machine, doesn't know how to turn it on. We move it into his little work area, level it up. Uh, He starts watching YouTube videos. He goes to take some college classes. He starts out in the in the low level class, ends up getting advanced because he was already smarter than the teacher, mm-hmm. uh, and the teacher was smart enough to know, hey, I need to move this this guy to. He's going to get a better education here. Uh, gets a rapport with the teacher, uh, 
online learn, meet some people uh, because they all have the same machine, gets a rapport with those guys. They come and help him with some of the setup. Uh, he didn't buy uh, one of the access portions to make it a lathe and a mill. Mm -hmm. So he built it and adapted it himself. So now awesome. it does both. And, and he built it with the machine, you know, so that's, that's even better. So when, when we think that we're too old, you know, we may run out a little physical, we may do this, we may do that. But mentally, as long as you push yourself and you keep working hard, you're never going to stop. No. You know what he's doing this whole time? He's living. Oh, what he's doing. Sorry about that. He's uh, living. You know, you, you, you've seen the property here mm -hmm. and you've walked, uh, I, I don't know if you got to go in the workshop. Never did with the workshop though. Uh, oh, it, it's amazing because he's got projects that he's been working on for 20 years, mm -hmm. but, it, but that's not the point. He's got projects. Yeah. He's got a Model A yeah, out there. Projects, he's yeah. got Triumphs. He's got ATC 70s. Uh, he's got Step Through 90s, or I think it's a Step Through 50 or whatever it is. Yeah. But he has all these things that that he's working on. And and this is what is, inspires me. And this, and this is one of the reasons I think my brother and I can't stop. Yeah. Because, yeah, granted, we're still working on a lot of customers' jobs. Mm -hmm. But you never slow down. You never stop working on them. Um, you, you, I don't have a shut off. I work Sundays. I work Saturdays. You know, I, I miss my wife because I'm, I'm working all the time. Yep. Uh, I traveled, you know, with what I do for 30 years and this, this year, 2020, I needed to stay home and take care of a family. And I ended up working more than I would have if I would have traveled. <laughs> is that ironic? Uh, it's, it's typical. It is. Um, we're probably getting close to kind of wrapping up here and, and, uh, I want to thank you, Curtis. Uh, well, everybody knows you as See How, not Curtis. Yes, that's true. Um, uh, but but See How, I want to express to you maybe something that I hadn't, uh, the admiration that I have for the way you've lived your life and the things and the sacrifices that you've made for our country, for, our, for us as people, for people that you don't even know. And I just want you to know how sincere I am and how, and how much I really appreciate that. And I hope that your family appreciates the fact that, that there are people are that do admire you for that. And I hope that the young people listening realize that uh, the military is a great choice. I think the education that you get and the pride that you get from sacrificing yourself something that is not done in society today. Mm -hmm. There's no self-sacrifice and to succeed in life, there's self-sacrifice. Absolutely. I agree. And I, I, it's been an honor. I, I truly respect coming here with you and giving word vomiting some of the history about what I lived. And I, I can't thank you enough. And it's been truly an honor. I, I appreciate that. And my, the honor is mine, brother. Uh, yeah. One topic that I wanted to reach on that, that I didn't, and I know that we're probably short on time here a little bit, but uh, wounded warriors and veteran activities, uh, what can or what can people do if they want to reach out or if they want to get involved with this? Uh, do you know any programs that they can that they can get to? Or I do. Yeah, there's the Purple Heart Foundation, which is which is a huge foundation. They they can call uh, with social media networking. You can go on Wounded Warrior sites. You can go Purple Heart Foundation, uh, the DAV Department American Veterans, or no, the DAV since American, but the DAV. Just type in DAV. It's a plethora of information out there that can 
if they want to just even do something as simple, taking a guy fishing. I mean, there, there's opportunities like that out there. Uh, I know they do a lot with the ATVs out there. There's people that take people on rides and they go off to the desert. They, they lease out ATVs from military guys that can't afford it or do anything. There's a lot of assistance out there provided. That's awesome. And maybe that you, maybe you could get us some uh, documentation or uh, link us up with some websites so that we can publish them on our social media uh, to get people tied into this. Absolutely, um, would love to. Yeah, and if and if you have any uh, uh, friends or or uh, veterans that that you would like to see if we can get together and, and maybe have a joint conversation, uh, that would be great as well. Oh, great! I'd love to. I'll set that you up. Know, I'll set that um, up. You know, three or four guys, and just uh, talk about some of their uh, their lives and some of the things that uh, they're going through, and and some of the things that we can do as civilians to help you. Yeah, you know, because not everybody knows, you know, what to say, what not to say. Uh, we're friends, so I'm pretty much can say anything to you, and right, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any boundaries, you know. So it's different than talking to somebody that I don't know. You know, right. Some stranger, you had no idea off the street. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd love to set that up, get a few guys in here and just, just open up and have a conversation. And I know they'd, they'd be thrilled too to get their side, you know, side of the stories. And most of them, uh, they'll, they'll give some of their gratitude for the military, what they're doing in life right now. And, and, you know, I, I think the work, work ethic that comes from it, and the education on focus. Mm -hmm. You have to focus on your task and get your task handled before you can go have a beer. Yep. Before you can go spend that money, you have to finish your task. I know. Absolutely. And in the military, if you don't finish your task, you ain't going anywhere. Nope. <laughs> That's why in the military, you got to be on time everywhere. Well, the last four years of my life, I'm the worst time of being on time. And I hate that part because what I do is a you know plumbing contractor. Yeah. Never on time anywhere. And it's just because of the trade. But that's... Same thing, task at hand. That's why I, I'm never on time. If I'm here to fix a toilet, I'm going to fix that toilet 100% right. And if it takes me an hour, it takes me 10 hours. That's what I'm doing right now. Right. Which teeter totters the domino effect about being scheduling. That's exactly. Yeah. We have the same problem. Same and, problem. Shot two problems. Yeah. Right? I can't yeah. let that bike go unless it's 100%. 100%. I'm just, yep. I'm sorry. And you missed a trip, but. It's not going until it's right. My right. reputation, my my name, my it's it's everything about me yep. is leaving with you. And if there's a problem, it's on me. It's on you. Yeah. So I, I get it. Um, one other thing that I was going to ask you about um, that has to do with work ethic, uh, and I've kind of lost my train of thought. I was thinking about it when you were talking okay. uh, about scheduling and time. Oh. This year, I know it's been a strange year. Lots of weird things have gone on with COVID and in the media. Um, how is that affecting you in your business uh, lockdowns and and you know some of the COVID stuff? Is it has it hurt you guys much? No, no. We've actually been uh, busier now than we were before COVID hit. Uh, more people are at home. Uh, more people are doing remodels of their houses. They have more time. That it's. Uh, I mean, it's this thing going on is bad, but I also see a lot of people spending more time with their family and kids because they're home more. They're not doing their normal routine, get up, shower, have a cup of coffee, go to work, come home late, do dinner, go to bed. It's more they're you know, I can drive to so many homes. Moms and dads are helping the kids do their homework, which is I don't agree with it. The kids should be at school, but 
that you, there has been some benefits and pluses of it, but for the business wise, we've been slammed. Well, I think that parents teaching their children is far better than some teacher that has a degree from one of these uh, liberal leaning colleges that really isn't teaching their children. Yeah. I mean, education is a sore spot for me and, uh, maybe I didn't value it as much as I should have. My father told me I would be in that situation in my life and I am, you know, and I, am. <laughs> yeah. you know I didn't, I didn't pay attention in English and I didn't pay attention in math as much as I, you know, in your trade, you use math in my trade, I use math and right. I need more of it. And, right. uh, uh, you have to go out and teach yourself these things that you could have learned really easy if you just paid attention to the teacher. Pay attention. <laughs> or if a teacher that you that you as an individual found interest to, you probably would have learned a ton from that teacher. So uh, that goes, there's a whole other gray area there with teachers. It's like, uh, uh, you know, I mean, if you find a teacher that was big into racing and could relate to you on, on what you do now later in life, you'd be like, oh, okay, it's, it, it, I, I'm, I'm drawn to that. Right. It's just, it's, you're never going to find a perfect teacher unless you're the perfect candidate for that teacher. Just, well, yeah. And I think that they give that square box that they put teachers in and they don't let them teach. Their curriculum, they have to go by. Yes. Yeah. They don't yeah. let them teach out of the box. And if, and if they were, and if they let it expand, I think some of these teachers with the imaginations they have could use so many different things to teach yeah. the exact topic. You go back to swatting. Remember the swatting paddle? Oh, days? hey. Man, I, I didn't mess up when I was a kid. I get the paddle. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, they were phasing it out when I was going through high school uh, here, in, here in El Capitan. But you know, it, it still was there, you know, you yeah. show up late to, you show up late to auto shop, you know, you got a SWAT. That's always you, auto shop too. That guy always hit the hardest. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you get caught with chewing tobacco, you, you know, you get a SWAT. Get a SWAT, yeah. You know, so th there's a lot of, I mean, I went to El Cap here in, in Lakeside and um, they had hitching posts in the back of the school you know, there when I graduated. So hmm. that tells you we were a little more rural. Yeah. It's a huge horse population. Uh, it still is, you know, still is, yeah. Lakeside and, and, and Alpine uh, all both have that going on and it, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, um, again, I'm glad that you came and sat down with me. Thank any you. information that you can give us for, uh, the wounded warriors or any veteran association would be great. I will. Um, and please uh, leave the door open uh, so that we can have you back and maybe have you and some other guys come in and, and sit down and, and have a conversation because anything that we can teach the general society or maybe give a young man somewhere in the country a, an opportunity or a young woman, excuse me, sorry about that, uh, an opportunity to better themselves by entering the military, whether it be army, Navy, air force, Marines, you know, the coast guard, whatever it is, uh, there's always an advantage. There's always something to do. Um, and uh, there again, I really appreciate what you've done and, and well, thank you and taking your time. I know you're a busy guy and you're going to have to tell your beautiful wife and children. Thank you very much for uh, letting me borrow you for, I will. they're excited to see this little, podcast. So uh, again, thank you. I know I say it a lot, uh, because I really do appreciate it. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, everybody that comes on ATV doc, um, it's your story. It's your time. Um, this is for the love of our country and for my man that 
sacrificed himself for our country and his, you got something out of it, but you also gave back and, and, and that's more important than anything. There's a saying, some gave all and all gave some. It's a huge saying. Well, so. I don't, I, I didn't get to give like you did. And hopefully I can give back a little this way because my industry has been so amazing for me and I've got to travel the world and uh, be free and, and do what I love to do. And that's build and race ATVs. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate it. And thank you for allowing me to do that. Thank you. All right, brother. All right. We'll talk to you later. Ha- have a great one. And, and, and thanks again. Thank you. All right, bud. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Teams. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolutions.org or call for an appointment, 858-571-0160. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.